you wouldn't believe the things people say about me. The problem with celebrity is that people throw your name around like they know you and understand you. They don't. And it's not just me saying this. Researchers have identified at least two dozen ways people commonly refer to me that are wrong. People expect me to make decisions for them, which is not who I am. In fact, they use my name in making some truly outlandish claims. I've been around a long time, and I've been dealing with this my whole life. I'm tired of it, so I decided to sponsor this podcast. I am the P-value. When used correctly, I'm helpful. When used incorrectly, serious problems can ensue, and these are not my fault. If you want to use me properly, you really should consult with a professional statistician, especially one who is a member of the American Statistical Association. And now, let's join the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Practical Significance, a podcast to inspire listeners with compelling stories from statistics and data science and to propel data-driven careers forward. Here are your hosts, the ASA's Director of Strategic Initiatives, Donna Lalone, and Executive Director, Ron Wasserstein. Well, welcome everyone to Practical Significance. We can hardly believe that this is the first fall episode. The summer just flew by for us, and I'm guessing for lots of you as well, but we hope you had a pleasant summer and are ready for a great fall. And Ron and I have a really special guest on this episode. So I think many of you know that we welcomed a new member to the ASA staff, Derek Curtis. Derek is now our Director of Finance and Administration. And so we thought that this would be an, an excellent time to talk with Derek and have an opportunity to just learn a little bit more about him, uh, let you learn a little bit more about him, but also to just think about the future of the ASA. So Ron and I are just going to have a conversation. So this is like we were at a coffee shop with Derek. So <laughs> Derek, I'll jump right in and ask the question that I'm sure everybody wants to know. Did you always want to be an accountant? Thank you, Donna. The short answer is yes. I've had a goal of being an accountant since I was in the third or fourth grade. There was a career day uh, in elementary school. And, uh, we had different parents come to school and tell us what they did and explain what they did. And I was a math whiz uh, ahead of my time in the third and fourth grade. And there was a, a parent who was a chief financial officer uh, and did accounting. And I said, oh, you can make math into, you know, a career and get paid for. It's uh, something that I was really interested in. And I set my sights on it and I never let it go. I was one of the rare college students that went into uh, university knowing exactly what I wanted to do. While everybody else took the first year to try to figure out what their major was, I said, oh, I knew what I wanted to do since I was in third or fourth grade. So it's fun. I, I love math. Uh, I love accounting. I did learn, though, that the math doesn't go so far in accounting because more so about principles, adding the apples with the apples and the oranges with the oranges. You know, it doesn't get too deep into like calculus because I did realize uh, in high school that when I got up all the way up to the calculus level, I was like, ah, this is where I stop. <laughs> but accounting, yes, love it and always knew that I wanted to be an accountant. That's great. Tell us a little bit 
about your accounting history. So I know that you were at another association before you joined the ASA. And so just give us a little bit about the career trajectory before we move on. So the career trajectory started in the Peace Corps. When I left Ball State University, I went into the Peace Corps. Well, I was a small enterprise developer uh, in uh, a country called Togo, which is in West Africa, very small country in West Africa. And my job there was just to provide grassroots support to businesses there. Basically simple accounting and business operations. And I loved it. It helped me to grow, to be more culturally diverse. And if it hadn't been for me getting sick, I would have stayed there a lot longer. But I left there and I went to an organization called the National Academy of Sciences, where I was a staff accountant there. And that was where I got my feet wet as an accountant. My first paying job, because Peace Corps was a volunteer opportunity. And uh, there, I learned a lot. I went back to school. The academies helped me get my uh, master's degree in accounting and financial management and also helped pay for my CPA. So was able to go back to school, get my CPA, and get some foundational uh, structure in accounting on the business side outside of school. And so that's where I started. From there, I went to Deloitte. Uh, which is uh, one of the big four accounting firms in the world. And that was very fun. I loved it at Deloitte. Uh, and from Deloitte, as a business process improver, uh, I was a senior consultant there. I went from there to an organization called Tate & Triumph, which is a, an accounting firm. And there I was an outsourced controller doing controllership services for many nonprofits in the uh, DMV area. Loved it. Was there for about four years. And then I went to the International Association of Chiefs of Police as their deputy CFO. Absolutely loved it there. Had a great time. Learned from some incredibly smart people. Uh, learned policing from, you know, another side. You know, it's one thing to be a civilian. It's another thing to, you know, learn and get deep into, you know, policing policies and things like that. So that was fun. I had a ball. And that was where I was before I came here. And three and a half months ago, met you and Ron on Zoom and was so excited to be a part of the American Statistical Association. So now I'm here and I'm excited. Well, it's great that that path got you to the apex of your career. Well, at least the current apex of your career. <laughs> I'm going to go back to your third or fourth grade experience for a little bit because that's really unique. I don't know what Donna was thinking about when she was in third or fourth grade. It probably wasn't this. I remember that I was going to be a professional baseball player when I was in third or fourth grade. By sixth or seventh grade, it was pretty clear that wasn't going to work out. But it's great you know, to hear about somebody's dad who took the time to come to your school and talk about their day job, and that had an impact on you. And that makes me want to ask you about other people who have had a significant influence along the path that you outlined, your mentors, other heroes that you had. Would you share a little bit about um, who some of those people were or have been in your life? Well, great question. I'll say early on, during those fourth grade, fifth grade years, Ron, uh, it was my uncle. Uh, my uncle's name is Don Curtis. And he has a lot to do with who I am today. He was a budget officer for the State Department 
and then he went into the foreign service and see what he did as a little kid, that also influenced me to be an accountant. The budgeting that he was doing for the State Department, and then uh, he made that transition to be in the Foreign Service, a huge mentor in my life, and, and still is to this day. So my uncle early on, unfortunately, by the time I was in the eighth grade, he joined the Foreign Service and spent the next 20 years in different countries. So he left. So then it was just finding, you know, little pockets where I can learn from different people. I've always been someone who just watches and observes. So you take, you know, me learning how to drive. I never had driving lessons. I just watched people drive and then I got behind a car and drove. Swimming, I, I never had swimming lessons. I just looked at someone else swim and then I went in the water and did exactly what that person did. And so my uncle laid the foundation, so I knew how to look for good character and different people. And so I just started watching different people. People didn't know I was watching. So I used that as a way to get by. And I didn't really have a, my next mentor until I actually started my career. Kimberly Morgan is the one who helped me get my first job at the National Academy of Sciences. I started off as a temp. And on the first day, she told my boss, because she was the assistant ever, she told my boss, teach him everything because I'm going to hire him. And from there on, she was just a, a great mentor and one of my references uh, when I came here at the ASA. From there, you also had the chief financial officer of the organization of the National Academy of Sciences at that time. His name was Archie Turner. And I reached out to him and he was a great mentor and taught me uh, a lot of different things. Uh, and uh, three more people Vince Tolucci, he's the chief executive officer of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Terrence Cunningham is the chief operating officer of the ICP, And Joel Berry was my boss at the ICP as well as the CFO. Uh, those people have really helped me and shaped my career and shaped my life. That's really fantastic. Those are actually folks, it sounds like, that are still in your life, which is really nice when you can stay connected to your heroes and your mentors. And to answer the question, I wanted to be a teacher from the third grade. Yes, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked office supplies even then. And Derek, you said you, you saw accounting as a way to use math. I saw being a teacher as a way to use pens and pencils and paper. And so... <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and ask you what you like to do to relax or what some of your hobbies are. That's assuming I have time to relax. So a couple years ago, a neighbor asked me to do something very radical that I had not thought about and asked me, would I run for public office? Thought about it and I ended up running for city council. And I ran for city council. That's taken up a lot of my time over the past two years. And so that's why I say, oh, man, do I even have time to relax? But they are pockets. So I'm a night owl. Uh, so my time to relax is between maybe 10 p.m. and 12 a.m. Because between my wife, my children, the ASA and council work, that's a lot in, in one day. So I, I love sports. I used to play basketball. I was really great at football, though I did not play. So I love to watch basketball. I love to play basketball. If I had opportunity, I would love to just play a game of pickup football. That is the way I decompress. Actually, if I get on a basketball court, it seems like 
there's nothing else in this world. I'm just focused on the game. And I love hanging out with my children. They're funny. They ask a lot of questions. But my son is now getting into basketball. So that has taken up another chunk of my time because what he really desires is to play basketball. And that means that's a sacrifice to me, uh, for me. Uh, but I really enjoy uh, just hanging out with them, teaching them what I know and seeing him grow and develop. All of my excitement and joy has been <laughs> has been poured into watching my kids grow up. It's a beautiful thing. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm going on dates with my wife, hopefully once a week, go on a date with my wife and just have a good time with her and cultivate the relationships that are most important to me. Well, I have to say, Derek, I think you have your priorities uh, spot on, but um, you said kids. And so you mentioned that your son likes to play basketball. And then is there a daughter as well? Do I remember yes. that? Yes. So my <laughs> son, Carson, is eight. Uh, my daughter, Cassidy, is six. Uh, my daughter is in gymnastics. And so my wife and I divide and conquer. My wife takes Cassidy to gymnastics. I take Carson to basketball. And funny, last night I asked my son, hey, do you want me and your mom to switch? And I take Cassidy to gymnastics and mom take you to basketball. Because sometimes so I'm a coach dad. So sometimes we bump heads and it's like, oh, you're going to have to listen to me or we're going to have to switch off. And so he said, no, he doesn't want to switch. He wants me to stay as his coach slash dad. So, okay. Because it's, you know, we can't bump heads too often. You just have to listen because I'm always right. It's who I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah, they are fun kids. Cassie's flipping around the house all the time. Carson is doing fake moves around the house with no basketball all the time. Well, thanks for that great answer, Derek. I look forward to seeing some of your fake moves around the office. <laughs> as I mentioned, Don, as I mentioned to Derek in a previous conversation, I cut short my basketball career because I just got tired of hitting my head on the rim. And if you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Topeka I'd like to sell you also. But I'm going to switch gears now, Derek, to promoting the practice and profession of statistics business. You've just been with us for a little bit. The three of us have had a lot of conversations about the ASA. And so what are some of the things that stand out to you about the American Statistical Association in its current state, its goals? And what do you see as the opportunities and challenges that we face as we go forward? Actually, in my interview, Ron, with you and Donna, I got a glimpse into just the personality of the ASA. Fun-loving People who love what they do in statistics. Very passionate people. Donna is probably one of the most passionate. And it's good to have. Some people, they don't like what they do. They get a job to make a living and pay for things in life. And it's a part of the culture of being an adult. You know, you get up, you get a job, you work, you pay for your bills. Uh, it's kind of rare, unfortunately, uh, that you find people who really love what they do. Uh, and I can see that from Donna and Ron. And so then past the interview phase and getting into the ASA, I can see that, oh man, very passionate people about statistics. And I'm passionate about accounting. That's a good foundation to have. If you love what you do, then every day, no matter what the challenges are, it's a good day. So I appreciate that about the, the ASA. Good people, hardworking, looking to advance the profession. You could ask for anything more. Everyone is trying to find a way to make it work. That is a key component of what has allowed 
the ASA to last this long in a field where a lot of nonprofits did not make it out of the pandemic. Only the strong have survived, and ASA has been proven to be strong. Challenges, I would say that some challenges are just continuing to be flexible and adjusting with time. One of the, the key successes of great companies is being able to change with the times. For those who say, oh, we've always done it this way, so we're always going to do it this way, you will eventually find that those businesses either go out of business or have just significant decline in business. So you have to be able to be flexible. I know we just briefly talked about AI. So how does AI play in, in the new landscape in business? I'm not the biggest fan. I'm still a little bit skeptical of it, but I do know that it's changing. And so how do we integrate that? How does it affect ASA? How does it affect different industries? Everybody has to figure out uh, some way to adapt to it without an over-reliance on it. And so it's the same with the ASA. How do we, with our strategic goals, push forward? trying to achieve those goals. Are those goals still attainable? Are they still relevant with the changes that's happened over the last couple of years? You take, for example, a goal that some organizations had to just completely be in person back in, what, 2020, right? That That is a, a core principle that was a core principle for organizations, and the pandemic happened that completely changed. Some people adapted to it, and they survived. Some people did, and they didn't survive. So we just have to continue to analyze our landscape, see what's working well, see what's not. Uh, how do we uh, restructure organizationally so they can operate efficiently? How can we implement uh, software that can automate things that we've been doing uh, by hand and that can make our time more efficient in analyzing data and continue to push the pedal to the metal of advancing the industry and statistics. So I hope that answers your question. It's very broad without getting into too much detail, but that's the, the gist of it. being flexible and continue to analyze where we are, what's changing around us, and how can we incorporate that change with what we're doing so that we can remain relevant. Thanks, Derek. That's great. Yeah, I think we have really appreciated your fresh eyes on the way we operate. And I know we'll continue to look at that as you have a chance to learn more about the ASA, right? Okay, so we usually end with talking about what we're reading, watching, or listening. And you've already said that you don't have a whole heck of a lot of free time to do any of the above, but any good books or good movies, other podcasts on your radar that you would share? Well, one book I try to read every day is the Bible. Another book is Good to Great by Jim Collins. It talks about much of what I've just discussed, how do you make that leap from a good company to a great company? It takes a look at companies who did not make that leap and what were their commonalities in those companies and what were the commonalities in the companies that did make the leap and remaining relevant and adjusting with the times. I finished a book called Wild Goose Chase by author called Mark Batterson. And I have journals uh, of accounting, uh, of accountancy uh, that I get in my email to remain relevant in the world of accountants. And CFO.com is also helpful. And I space out sometimes reading ESPN articles because I'm a sports guy. 
I haven't watched much TV lately because, as I said, I'm a sports guy, so I'm typically watching football or basketball. So there's a gap at about mid-June to probably about September of no football and no basketball except for, you know, like summer league. So there's really nothing for me to watch on TV. What I did in the past week, I was in North Carolina visiting my uh, in-laws. I started a, a series. I don't know if you guys heard it. Uh, it's called Suits. It's an old series. And I just started watching it to have something on in the background. It was pretty interesting. I'm in, on season four. That's pretty much the books I'm reading. I'll just finish and what I'm watching on TV right now. That's very cool. So Ron, I'm going to turn the tables and, and ask you to weigh in. What are you watching or reading or listening to? Lately, the listening to has been books from, I, I would say, mystery crime novels from Australian authors. I love mysteries and crime and so on. And so I, I go through phases and I, I went through a, um, a phase of what they apparently call Nordic Noir, where I listen to books from uh, Joe Nespo and others. And I just finished uh, all of Jane Harper's books. She's the uh, Australian author. And I guess I'll throw in one more thing in the area of books. I have on pre-order the fourth installment in the Thursday Murder Club books. I have very much enjoyed those. And I'm a couple months away from getting my next novel dropped into Audible. Well, we share that love of mysteries, but I also will say that um, I just started the Jonathan Igg's new biography of Martin Luther King, and boy, only a few pages in, but it is definitely living up to the positive reviews. Donna, if I can throw in a podcast recommendation that sure. I, I just got from my daughter, Rachel, someone who you know, she recommends Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast, Wiser Than Me, where apparently Julia uh, interviews older, famous women. And then at the end of every episode, she calls her mom to talk about the interview. And uh, so that sounds really charming to me. I just learned about that a few hours ago, and I think I'll jump into that. I will subscribe we're, as soon as we're finished, um, for sure. That sounds great. Yeah, well, if you all want, there is a podcast called The Pen Addict. And so if you want to know who my people are, you can listen to The Pen Addict. And That's amazing. <laughs> There's another podcast that I've listened to a few times, Earn Your Leisure. It's uh, a podcast about investing and how you can earn uh, basically your leisure in latter years by investing, investing well. So if I'm working, I might put it on in the background to listen and work at the same time. That's great. So we've given our uh, listeners a lot to keep them busy between now and the next episode of Practical Significance. So we'll end as we always do with Ron's top 10. Thanks, Donna. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, and I've stayed in many hotels. Most have been quite nice, but not all. And over the years, I've learned some lessons. So to help you our Practical Significance podcast listeners, I've compiled the top 10 signs you should have picked a better hotel. Number 10, Uber and Lyft won't take you there and taxis let you off three blocks away. Number nine, valet parking is provided by the local chop shop. Number eight, rates are by the hour with a 30 minute minimum. Number seven, at check-in, they give you a bottle of water, a can of bug spray and a handgun. Number six, you get a wake-up call, whether you want one or not. Number five, and the wake-up call is the front desk clerk 
banging trash can lids outside your door. Number four, the rooms are only cleaned every three days, regardless of whether the occupant has changed during that time. Number three, the vending machine vends pot and molly. Number two, there is a funeral home next door managed by the same people as the hotel. And the number one sign, you should have picked a better hotel. You find out that I, Ron Wasserstein, am registered there. Well, that's it for this month's episode of Practical Significance. We hope you will join us next month as we continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to this edition of Practical Significance, the podcast of the American Statistical Association. A new episode will be coming your way next month from Amstat News, the ASA's monthly membership magazine.